Good morning, Fellowship Church. Let's try that again. Good morning, Fellowship Church. Hey, there's a little bit of a problem we have here this morning is that, you know, when you don't have a, a back to the sanctuary, people keep moving back. You guys are so far away. It's like, hey, where are you all? <laughs> Just kidding. Good morning. It's great to be together this, this morning uh, outdoors. Some people would say it's a little hazy out this morning or overcast, but I think it's a perfect day for an outdoor worship service. We're not out baking on the blacktop like we have uh, in the summers before. You know, some folks have been saying that this weekend marks the end of the summer. Others say that it's the kickoff to a new season. Others are saying it's a national holiday, and still others uh, say that it's the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. But we <laughs> at true. Fellowship Church say yes to all those things, and we get to say amen to the fact that we get to worship outdoors for our annual outdoor worship service here at Fellowship Church. It's a joy to be together. My name is Nate Skipper, and I am one of the pastors here where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We are glad you are here. If you want to grab a connection card to let us know that you are here, there's some at both of these white tables, and there's also offering plates there uh, if you want to drop your offering there. This past week, uh, I have just want to share one little highlight. Uh, you might not have known that Fellowship Church's mission crew uh, does this annual thing for the last couple years over at Lakewood School, our partner school across the street or across Lakewood Boulevard. We provided 20 dozen donuts from DeBoer for all of the students, staff, and parents as they walked in for their first day of school with a crew of about uh, six to 10 of us. We're cheering on all the kids every morning, or that first morning, or the first morning of school uh, to welcome them to their first day of school. And I just wanna say, Amen. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to do that. Uh, and that is because of the shared offerings that we uh, together uh, make up uh, that provide us with opportunities to do ministry at our local schools like Lakewood Elementary. This morning, I want to uh, invite you into our call to worship. We don't have a screen, so uh, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little uh, back and forth, but you're going to have to just remember your line, which is, his love endures forever. Let's practice at one time. His love endures forever. I will say a refrain, and then you will respond back to me, and I'll give you a little cue to say that same line back. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods and the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great light, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Let us stand and sing to the Lord whose love endures forever.
Before we begin, before we begin our um, this morning's prayer for our labor, prayer for our work, I want to note the recent passing of Maureen Cook um, and Robin Schwartz. Um, Robin Schwartz actually passed away this this past week, um, yesterday. So keep them, remember them and their families in your prayers this week. Um, and with that, would you would you pray with me? more volume. Um, Is that it? Okay. So pray with me. King of creation, you have blessed some of us with work that delights us. We wake in the morning excited to contribute to your kingdom. We have sensed a clear call and have experienced your blessing. And for this, we give thanks. Others in your body, O Christ, feel vocationally lost, and some of us have little or no delight in our work. Others lack direction or feel bored. Perhaps some of us wonder why we even finished school. Others wonder why we didn't. Jesus, we pray for these brothers and sisters among us who are greatly dissatisfied with your work. May they discover the lightness of your yoke on their shoulders. Gracious God, hear our prayer, and in your love, answer. For those who engineer, design, or create, give them delight in their opportunity to model your creating hands. For those who repair roads, homes, clothing, and cars, guide their restorative work in our world. For those who nurture children, parents, patients, plants, land, and animals, may the love of God our Father overflow to those they touch. Gracious God, hear our prayer, and in your love, answer. For the staff members of this congregation and the church worldwide, fill them as they serve, equip, preserve, care for, and lead your people. For those in leadership positions, give them wisdom and discernment. For the teachers and students among us, may their work result in well-formed minds that delight in truth. Gracious God, hear our prayer, and in your love, answer. For the artists among us, may they be struck by beauty, which is the splendor of eternal truth, such that they use their skill to point to you. For lawyers and judges and those in law enforcement and government workers, may you bless them with wisdom to preserve and restore justice. And for those who help heal bodies and minds and relationships and souls, 
guide their hands to mend and their mouths to speak shalom, which is peace and wholeness and righteousness in you. Gracious God, hear our prayer and in your love, answer. For those who develop media, may their content invite readers and viewers into the breadth and complexity of your world. For those who steward resources, give them wisdom and guidance to increase human flourishing. For those who sell, serve, or support the work of others, may they, by their interaction with people, encourage and advance your kingdom. Gracious God, hear our prayer, and in your love, answer. For those who are retired or who serve others without being paid, take, break, bless, and give their time and their talents as a blessing to others. For those who seek work, we ask for your peace and guidance for our friends. We pray for meaningful work for the whole of our congregation. Gracious God, hear our prayer and in your love answer. For those whose faithful labors have ceased, who now come to find their rest eternally in you, and especially in Maureen Cook, Peggy Douthat, and Robin Schwartz, gracious God, hear our prayer and in your love answer. God of work and rest and joy, grant that what we do this week may be for us an offering rather than a burden. And for those we serve, may it be the help they need. In all these things, may we glorify the name of Christ. We pray in the name of the creating, redeeming, and restoring God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Well, good morning, church and friends and guests and neighbors. The Lord be with you. Good to be together with you this morning and hard to believe that we are now concluding our summer series that we've had together called A Questionable Life. It's been 13 weeks and in a lot of ways all along, I've been wondering if the honest truth is that when you have a question or me too, what do you do with it nowadays? You Google it. You don't even want to say it out loud, right? Yeah, we Google it. <laughs> Any guesses what might be the top most Googled questions from the last year, 2021? What should I watch? Apparently, we were bored. And number two, where's my refund? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> If we shift our attention but still let Google set the course, the most uh, asked questions about the Bible. Anybody know what those might be? Actually, I'm discouraged when I saw this list because the list, according to Google, of the most asked questions about the Bible ends up being first, trivial, like are there dinosaurs in the Bible? And second, moralistic, like is this thing right or wrong, good or bad? That's not great. We can do better, right? And all summer long, we have instead inverted the system. And rather than us asking the questions, we've been allowing the book to ask us the questions, taking them straight from the scriptures, existential questions. And today we're on to the very last of our series together. Today's question is, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? It comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapters 3 and 4. So I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, where it says this. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their taskmasters, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, Moses, go. I am sending you to go to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out his hand and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand again. This said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. 
Then Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, please. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, I have thick lips and a heavy tongue. Kind of fun. <laughs> the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. Finally, God said this, but take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder if we can begin with a couple of body postures. We're outside here. Would you extend your hands out like this with your palms up to the sky, open-handed? What does it feel like? Might I suggest abundance? This is a position of giving and receiving. It is a posture of openness to God and to, go to others. It is a willingness to be a conduit, if you will. Now she has to make two fists and clench them tightly. What does this feel like? Yeah, feels quite different, doesn't it? Might I suggest scarcity? This is a posture of grabbing, of hoarding. It's even the posture we use for fighting. This is a posture that is fearful and adversarial, if you will. All right, you can put your hands down. Today, the question of the day is what's in your hand? It's an invitation to consider the thing that you have the most easy access to you. It's already in your hand, and it's an invitation to consider what you might do with it today. For Moses in the story that we just read, the answer to the question is a staff. A staff was in his hand, and God seems very interested in this story to encourage Moses to use that very thing in his hand for good in the world. To my delight, this week I discovered three different commentaries that offer three different interpretations of what the commentary means, or what the staff means, excuse me. Uh, the first commentary says that the staff represents your identity. The second commentary says that the staff represents a critical opportunity. And the third commentary says that the staff is a sign or a signpost, a thing pointing to something else. It struck me that as we today consider on Labor Day, what's in your hand, these three meanings actually weave together and help us today to answer that question as well. What's in your hand? Let's take a look at the first one. Your identity. 
The staff, first of all, represents your identity. It is the fundamental part of you, the part that makes you known to others. In fact, I'm holding this staff right now. I borrowed it from my good friend, Chris Gibson, who's out there in the back. This is Chris's stick. And because it belongs to him, that means that it is a storied stick. It's been places. It's done things. This stick is from Alaska. And when I hold it, it reminds me of Chris. That's what staffs typically do. Now, if you don't know Chris, you might know Gandalf. In fact, someone saw me walking around with this already this morning and called me Gandalf. <laughs> Gandalf is from the Lord of the Rings, right? And Gandalf does almost everything through his staff. It's a fundamental part of his being. He does the significant things through the staff. He walks with the staff. He fights with the staff. He even takes a stand against evil in the world with his staff. I love that scene. You shall not pass. He's using his staff in that particular case. The commentator said it this way. In ancient Palestinian society, a staff was an essential personal possession a means of protection and identification, and even a symbol of one's power. A staff was so basic and prized a possession that it is mentioned metaphorically as the only thing that a person possesses. And it's the first thing in a very short list of most basic possessions. So in the book of Genesis, when Jacob crosses a river and wants to say that I brought nothing with me, he says, I brought only my staff. In the New Testament, when Jesus sends out his disciples two by two and he tells them to bring nothing with them, the first thing he tells them to not bring is their staff. It is a fundamental part of our being. Staffs in biblical times were typically carefully carved and covered with markings and even words that made the staff identifiable, not only to its owner, but also to others who knew the owner. And if you were to give your staff to another person, it was basically to give your whole self to them. And if you were to use someone else's staff, it was either a great honor or identity theft. I hope you get the idea. In Bible speak, your staff is your most basic you. Today, we might not think that uh, we don't carry staffs anymore. So today, it might be more like having a photo ID or a fingerprint or a facial re recognition or a personality test. It's the most basic you. Your staff represents your identity. So God says to Moses, what's in your hand? And the answer is a staff. My identity, my most basic me, the me that you, oh God, have made me to be. That's what's in my hand, and that's all I've got. Again, we don't carry these things around anymore, but we are all still carefully crafted and uniquely identifiable human beings made by God. In fact, in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this thing rather beautifully. It says about each and every one of us, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which I prepared in advance for you to do. God's workmanship, God's handiwork, like a staff, readily available in your hand, the thing that's always with you. Some 20 years ago, I came to think about our unique uh, character, the way that God has made us as his workmanship. I came across an acronym for that, your shape, your shape. Now, it's not your body shape, okay? 
good thing we don't have slides. I would probably embarrass myself and, and maybe offend some others, but I'm not talking about body shapes here. Shape is an acronym that represents the way that God has uniquely made each and every one of us to do stuff in the world. So shape, the first letter is S, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. The lists are in the New Testament. You can find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4 and a handful of other passages. There's online assessments and all kinds of tools. And, and I would say, and I, I don't mean to be kind of like pushy about it, but if you've been a Christian for a long time and you don't know your spiritual gifts, you don't even know what's in your hand. You're missing out. It's right there. Spend some time on a rock with God in the company of people who know you well and discern your spiritual gifts. It's the first part of your shape. It's the S. H stands for heart. Heart would be your passions, the things that you care about. Now, we know we cannot care about everything in the world. Of course, we can't care about everything. But we do care about some things, and it's probably a problem if we don't care about anything. You have some passions in the world. Pay attention to your heart. The third thing, the third letter is A, abilities. Some of us have things that you're able to do that others find remarkably difficult to do, but it's easy for you like math or cooking or encouraging others or problem solving. I could give examples of each one of you where I know of it. We each have different abilities and we're called to use them. That's the third part of the acronym shape. Then there's personality. Personality. I love the little, uh, the little quip that says, how you do anything is how you do everything. That's our personality. So we're each wired in different ways. You all know there's a whole host of personality assessment type things out there. Enneagram, strength finder, types of things, disc. You can look into those. Even a simple one that I, that I uh, find handy is one that says, some of us are the get it done type. Some of us are the get it right type. Some of us are the get along type, and some of us are the get appreciated type. These are just personalities. How you do anything is how you do everything in the world. What's your personality? And then the last bit is E, experience. No one else has lived your life. No one else has lived my life. We have uniquely crafted life story that God has been watching over from start to finish, and those experience help to make us ready for whatever God is bringing us into in life. It was certainly so for Moses, if you study his life in this particular story leading up to these moments. Some have said that life is a cruel teacher. She likes to give the test first and the lesson later. That's experience, and we all have some of it. So those letters together build for your shape. Now, I will say, and I'll play you a song in just a minute. It's a song that is not typically played in a church. I'm very mindful that when we move outdoors, the neighborhood is listening. Whether they want to or not, they've heard us sing our songs and pray our prayers already. And now we're going to play them a song that throws a little curveball. But it speaks to your shape. Notice how each of the elements we just talked about, passions and life experiences, are called out in this song. It's a song by Van Halen called Give to Live. One minute.
I saw a couple of you maybe getting out your lighters there to kind of wave them. We're going to try and get our band to sing that kind of howling. Oh, in there. Okay. You get the idea. We're invited to participate. And that brings us to the second meaning of the staff. The first is your identity. It's the thing most available to you. The shape that God has shaped you with. The second meaning, however, of the staff is an opportunity. That your shape is, in fact, a gift and a responsibility, an opportunity. And so in the story, you heard it, Moses is literally invited by God to either take up or drop down the staff. What are you going to do with it? It's an invitation to leadership or service or something. It's an invitation to not do nothing, essentially. It's like God is saying to Moses, hey, that thing in your hand, are you going to use it? Or are you going to lose it? The commentator, the second commentator says it this way. The staff represents the courage to lead. God is telling Moses, if you want people to believe you, you must first believe in yourself and who I've made you to be. Remove the staff of leadership from yourself and it will turn into a serpent, which was the symbol of Egyptian rule. They wore snakes on their crowns. Grab the snake by its tail and it will become your staff again. In other words, if you do not lead, you will be led. If you do not administrate, you will be administrated. So if the first question to Moses is, what's in your hand? And the answer is a staff. My me, the me that you've made me to be, my identity. The second question of God to Moses is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to throw it down or are you going to take it up? Fascinatingly, Moses is scared of both options. When he throws the staff down, it becomes a snake. And what does he do? He runs away. He's scared of it. And he also is shaking in his boots as he bends over to pick that thing up by its tail. The worst way to pick up a snake, actually. Not that I've tried. I've heard. It's cowardly to run and do nothing. It's also scary to lead. Now get this, in the story that we just read, Moses makes excuses and not just one of them, not just two of them, a complete five different excuses Moses makes. I don't know if you've ever been that way where you've sensed God calling you to do something in the world and you've started to make excuses. Moses' excuse number one is, who am I, God? I'm a nobody. Send someone else. Moses' excuse number two is, but God, I don't know enough. I don't even know your name. Moses' excuse number three, but God, what if they don't believe me? Moses' excuse number four, God, I'm not a good talker. <laughs> I have thick lips and heavy tongue. Send someone gooder at talking. 
Moses, resistance number five, no thanks. It's not even an excuse anymore. Just no thanks. Send someone else, please. Do these sound familiar at all? Basically, I'm not important enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not likable enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not enough enough. No thank you. Please send someone else. It's been a big game, uh, a football game weekend. Did you notice? Even opening weekend for uh, West Ottawa Stadium. How cool was that? First game in the new stadium. Had the opportunity to be there together, and I couldn't help but notice that some of our very own fellowshipians are out there on the field, in the game, and in the band. Man, oh man, is it easier to be on the sidelines than to be in the game. Watching is super easy. Getting on the field is risky. But in the game of life, we're not invited to be watchers. We're inviters, invited to be doers. And so God says, what's in your hand? Are you going to take it up or are you going to throw it down? One by one in the story, God accommodates all of Moses' excuses so that by the end of it, God finally says, when you go, when you go, take your staff with you, which is God's way of saying, Moses, I am putting you in the game. Do what you can. I'll do the rest. In the New Testament, Jesus does a similar thing with his disciples. The famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember this story? It's told in most of the Gospels. I think all of them. A crowd is gathered far larger than this one, and they have no food. The disciples start to realize this is going to be a problem. They go to Jesus and say, the people have no food. We need to send them home now. Jesus does not say to them, go ahead, go stand on the sidelines and just watch. It's kind of biting if you catch the question he says to them or the statement he says. He says, you feed them. Well, they can't. Of course they can't. There's too many people. They don't have any stuff. In fact, there's only one boy there who actually offers. What does he offer? The one thing in his hand, his lunch, a couple fish, a little bit of bread. And Jesus takes that and feeds the crowd. Of course, the kid's lunch was not enough. Of course it wasn't enough. And I am not enough. You are not enough. Moses is not enough. That's not the point. The point is that God with us is enough. God with us makes all the difference. So what's in your hand? What's your shape? How has God uniquely crafted you to bring a contribution to the world? Are you going to take it up? Or are you going to throw it down? That's the second one, and there's one more way to think about the staff today. The third thing that the staff represents is that it is a sign or a signpost. It's a thing pointing to something else. This whole story of Moses, which actually runs for quite a long time, is actually not so much about Moses the hero. It's about God the hero. The staff is described as a sign. It's pointing to something else. The third commentator says it this way. The real subject of the story is God's authority. The staff is Moses' staff, but what happens with it is clearly from God. All that Moses does with his staff is finally called a sign. And the sign is pointing to a single end. 
proof of the powerful presence of God who is actively present in a world that belongs to him. As the story continues, perhaps you'll notice, Moses does end up using the staff. He does the snake trick, which gets the people to actually believe in him and follow him. He will use the staff to start some of the plagues, which is ultimately what sets the people free from slavery in Egypt. He will use the staff to part the Red Sea, where God makes a way where there is no way. He will use the staff to bring forth water from a rock where the people are otherwise in the wilderness and dying of thirst. But all of these instances are not to prove that Moses is a magician or to get us to celebrate and worship Moses. It is ultimately a sign pointing back to the God who made Moses and who was making these things possible through him. The same is true with each and every one of us. When we use our staff in the world, when we use our shape, our most fundamental me, when you do what you've been made to do in the world, it is not so that people will turn back and say, oh, how great you are. You are the best. Congratulations to you for being so smart or talented or capable or whatever. It is ultimately yet still a sign in which it is to be pointing back to the creator God who has made us as his workmanship to do good work that he has prepared in advance for us to do. We ultimately want the world to be watching us and then turning back and praising God, saying to God, be the glory. When David fought Goliath, famous story, and David gets a lot of accolades for that. In the midst of that story, what does he say? In the midst of the battle, he says, this is happening so that the world may know that there is a God in Israel. Not so that you worship David, it's so that you worship God. He takes what's in his hands, some stones and a sling, and says, let God be praised. Esther, the story in the Bible, the one book of the Bible that actually doesn't name God, is all about God, that work in the world. And Esther is the one who uses what's in her hand. Beauty, history, opportunity to speak truth to power. She uses all of those things and does them at such a time as this so that the world might turn back and praise God who saves his people in difficult circumstances. To God be the glory. And Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples on a hillside, he's telling them ultimately to take up the staff of leadership, to be salt and to be light, but not to do so, so that people will shine the light back on you and say, wow, aren't you so great? He's saying, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and praise your heavenly father in heaven. The staff is a sign and it is pointing all the glory back to the God who has given it in the first place. Friends, the last question of the summer is perfectly fitting for Labor Day weekend. A weekend in which we're thinking about work. So what's in your hand? Like Moses' staff, your identity is an opportunity to be a signpost. Will you take it up or throw it down? In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Friends, in our response this morning, as Pastor Ross mentioned in his second point, what we have is not enough without the Holy Spirit um, using it to, to multiply that miracle of feeding the 5,000. Um, our closing song is really a prayer that the Holy Spirit would take what we have and use it um, for the good of this world and for the glory of God. Would you stand and let's sing together.
Hey friends, can we give a round of applause to the people who made this outdoor thing possible? Can we also give a round of applause to God who has made this world a sanctuary? Come on. Yeah. On Labor Day weekend, we recognize the question of the day is what's in your hand? And the answer is an invitation to recognize your identity, your shape as an opportunity to be a signpost, to give glory to God in the world. As you go from this place, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace.